And it's going. Hello. <laughs> yeah, we're on. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for some big countdown that doesn't happen here. Uh, welcome to Real Men Feel. My name is Andy Grant. I'm a best-selling author, a speaker, a transformational energy coach. Um, that means I can tune into people and situations and read the energy behind them. Uh, in that line of work, uh, my clients are primarily women. But recently, I've been nudged to create more and more spaces and groups and events for men to get more men waking up to their potential, to who they really are, to what they can be, and all that kind of fun stuff. And that has morphed into um, a movement, if you will, that I'm calling Real Men Feel. And one of the ways that is unfolding is with this, this uh, Blab program that I'm co-hosting with my friend Apio. Hello, Apio. Hey, how's it going, guys? Very good. Very good. Fantastic. So this is a weekly program now. We decided to make it weekly. And it's a space to explore, to share, to feel, to see just whatever's going on for us, for you, for whoever finds us. And that's really what it's all about. Um, I do lead actual physical workshops and groups for, for men where I live here in Massachusetts, but I want to do this to you know, reach the world. And we have a Facebook group called Real Men Feel, which you are welcome to join and share and comment and post in between episodes and programs or, or during them. But I don't know that we'll have time to look at something if you said it in the group as opposed to right here. But um, again, the plan is to go for about 20 or 30 minutes. Today, we're going to talk about growing up as an empathic child, growing up as, you know, for my, speaking for myself, felt like I was like overly emotional, that I was kind of too sensitive. And, and I didn't know what an empath was as a kid. So to, now what I think an empath is, is someone that re- literally feels the emotions of other people. As a kid, it was very confusing that I didn't know where my emotions began and someone else's ended because I felt so much. So, so Apio, did you have a similar experience to that as a kid? Did you, were you empathic? I did. In fact, I, I knew from a very early age that I was empathic. I didn't know what the word was, but I did know that I could sense the emotions of others and I could just feel what was going on around me all the time. For me, it was like always switched on and almost like a, like a, bra, a, 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 a speaker that was broadcasting all the time, creating lots and lots and lots of noise. And it took me a lot of focus, a lot of training, a lot of practice to finally reach the point where I could specifically tune it out or go very general because I can never really switch it off, but at the very least go general enough so that it wasn't causing me a lot of both emotional as well as physical pain because I was feeling so much from me all around all the time. Was there a specific time that as a kid that you knew like, Wow, I'm I am so different <laughs> from everybody else. <laughs> I'd say probably around five years old, yeah. <laughs> very 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 early age. Yeah, and what what happened? Um, at that particular time, I just flat out knew that you know what, there's something there's something unusual going on here, um, and I, I just started telling my my parents that you know what, I think I'm here to help people be happy. That that's how that's the only way I could describe it. <laughs> I'm here to help people be happy. And so I just, you know, started paying attention to it and, and listening to what I was feeling from other people and using that to really kind of help, you know, relate myself to them and help them feel comfortable not only with me, but with themselves as well. And it's something that just intuitively, I never gave it a lot of thought. It wasn't something that I consciously pursued. It just seemed to be a very intuitive gift that would happen frequently. It was just, I would pay attention, tune in, and create a like a safe space, if you will, for mm-hmm. both of us. 
to occupy that space. And did you kind of just assume everyone else did the same thing? Or did you know that this was unique to you from, from your friends or neighbors? I assumed that everybody did the same thing, to be honest. It wasn't until like I was in my teenage years that I really started to notice that, no, not everybody is that in tune. And yeah, and and I, I also sense that there's something else going on because, you know, even even in elementary school and junior, throughout elementary school, junior high and in, in high school, I was... I was teased horribly for being very, very sensitive. You know, back in the, I was born in 1968 and, you know, in the 60s, 70s, and even into the 80s. Well, even, even now, to be honest, you know, when kids, especially boys who are very, very sensitive to feeling, who aren't afraid of showing their emotions and who, you know, display those emotions, um, oftentimes get ridiculed and sometimes horribly. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to, I, I'm glad you didn't have experience of being afraid to show emotion because I, I felt emotional, but I was afraid to show them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the time that stands out most to me, uh, it was in the, the first day of school for the third grade. And I was going to the same elementary school I'd been going to, but the third grade entrance was in a different location. So the school bus came into the lot and took a different turn. And I could feel, I, I was just suddenly overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. And I was sitting next to my best friend. I was going to the same school I had, but just going to this different location. I started bawling. And it like it made like there was no logical. I hadn't did, hadn't felt this building. I didn't know what was going on, and um, I just felt horrible. I didn't want to go to school. I just wanted to disappear. I didn't want to be crying. I didn't want to feel how upset and emotional I was. Yeah. And and I did not assume everybody felt this way because I looked around. I didn't see nobody else losing their mind like <laughs> I was. So I from that moment just thought I am broken and flawed and something's just really wrong with me. So yeah. I'm not even sure when I first heard the term empath, but I, was, I, I think I was an adult. Mm-hmm. And realizing in hindsight, oh, my God, that's I was feeling the fears of other people that weren't expressing it. And they were being expressed from, from me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you, you picked up on it. They were never verbalizing it. But boy, you could sense it. And it, again, it's like they're broadcasting it so loudly. They might as well have been shouting it verbally at you. And that's, I, I, yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. You know, I, the first time I heard the word empath was when I was, actually I didn't hear it. I read the word empath. I was, you know, at a very early age, I started uh, watching, um, uh, rather reading a lot of uh, sci-fi and fantasy uh, novels. You know, my dad really enjoyed it. And I immediately started loving the genre myself. And I can't remember the book that I was reading, but I saw the term empath and a description of it. I'm like, "Ah, that is me. (laughs) That resonates with me. And it just kind of, it really just kind of went from there. Um, So how, how, you don't remember what that exact definition was then? No, no. How would you, what would you, how would you define an empath right now? Right now, I would uh, use a very similar definition to what you use, and that is an, a, a person who has the ability to sense emotions of others and and read those emotions and just know instinctively and intuitively what the other person is feeling. And that empath can also put words and, descri- and describe what it is that the other person is feeling, or they can literally empathize with them in the conversation to the point where the other person is able to feel completely at ease with empaths are really, really good at that. We are exceptional at creating safe spaces, not only for ourselves, but for the people that are, that are around us and with whom we are engaged in conversation. 
Yeah, yeah especially um, in my experience growing up, like I was the guy that people came to and relied on and confided <laughs> in. So I've definitely, and I didn't, again, I didn't use these terms at the time when I was 11 and 12 that I was creating a safe space, but I could realize that there was a safe, I was some sort of a safety net for other people, but mm-hmm. I, it didn't really feel like I was creating a safe space for myself ever. Right. Did, right. did you always feel safe in your own kind of beingness with this? In a very strange way, yes. I never called it being, creating a safe space. But in when I was engaged in that conversation, I always felt safe. I always felt like I was in a little bubble. That, that's the only way I could describe it. I was in a bubble that would be with me and the other person. But when I was out and about and I wasn't engaged in any conversation with anybody and I was just feeling emotions all around me, Oh, I did not feel safe. I felt vulnerable. I felt like I wanted to run and hide all the time. Um, this was especially true when I could f- sense really strong emotions that were being broadcast by either one or two individuals or by an entire room. I mean, I could easily just walk into a room and gauge the mood. And and I could sense um, – just, I mean, I can just sense overwhelmingly what it was. And, and because I was so self-conscious of my ability to sense everything, I just mistakenly assumed that that hostility or that anger, whatever it is that I was feeling that was starting to overwhelm me, was directed at me because I was one who was hypersensitive. So I always took it on and thought it was me. No, it wasn't. It never was. Yeah. It's usually just circumstances. And now I understand it better now that I'm able to find Oh, the reading of that energy and the reading of those emotions, I, I understand. And now that I look back, I'm like, that was never the case. It was rarely directed at me. It was almost always the circumstances in which the person was finding themselves. And, and they were so caught up in their own distress. I was just feeling it and just assuming I was the cause of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is it's very difficult to not take these things personally, especially when you're, like, when you're feeling emotions – I, no one had ever introduced the concept that they could belong to someone else or I could be perceiving the energy, the feelings, the mood of someone else. Mm-hmm. Yet yet all human beings do this. And th- this yeah. isn't some like, you know, weird <laughs> genetic default of ours no. or something, which is what I thought at times. Right. But ev- I think every human being has had the experience of, of walking into a room where there had been a fight and you can feel it. You can just – you can feel the tension. Yes. Or – if you walk into a party up to a group of people that are laughing and you, you miss the joke, but they're laughing and you can, oh, you just start laughing too. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's exactly yeah. true. In fact, that's, that's a perfect segue into something else that I want to mention. And that is, at least I feel, and I certainly believe that every single human being is an empath to a certain extent. All of us can, can consciously develop that talent even further. But if we weren't empaths, we wouldn't be able to just, like you said, instinctively feel the tension that's in the room when we walk in, if there's been an argument that just before we came in, or we wouldn't be able to feel comfortable with somebody immediately. We wouldn't be able to know whether or not we can actually trust somebody. We wouldn't be able to build relationships, whether it's friendships or romantic relationships or whatever. We wouldn't be able to create communities. All of that is because what we would call our instincts is, in fact, an extension of our ability to sense the emotions of others. Yeah, I think the only the only, only possible category of people that don't have any of that would be really a sociopath. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why just someone to just clamp it down so much. I think they're I think it's possible for them, but there's someone that has just stuffed it so much that they just cannot mentally, emotionally relate to another being. Well, I get a sense that yeah, I would I would agree with that. And I would actually get a sense that they they, they can feel what others are feeling, but they switch it off. They switch off 
you know, in other words, they don't allow, permit themselves to actually process it. They don't give themselves permission to either process it for themselves or for any other people. So therefore, they are like literally walking zombies to a certain extent. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. And since, since we've gone there, I, um, <laughs> you know, by, by being, you know, what, I, again, I'll call overly sensitive because that's how it felt like to, to me as a kid. Um, you know, and, and I was labeled as, as bipolar, uh, depression, anxiety. Um, I had problems with alcohol and drugs as a teenager. And all these were kind of labels and, you know, circumstances that revolved around my not sure, not being sure how to navigate emotions and not, and thinking every emotion I felt was mine. You know, I, God, I was in my thirties before someone even taught me that, no, everything you feel doesn't necessarily come from you. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? <laughs> so- <laughs> I, I was in similar circumstance. For me, it, it is, I mean, you, I was listening to you and I'm like, yeah, this, uh, this is sounding very familiar. <laughs> it's like, um, were you in my head just now? Because <laughs> that was very much my experience as well. I was in my 30s also when I finally started to understand, when somebody else came to me and started helping me understand that this is not you. You're not the source of all of it but you are certainly sensing all of it and taking it and internalizing it. So yeah, being emotional in a society that doesn't give men in particular permission to be emotional is, can be a huge challenge. Um, You know, I mentioned that I was never really afraid of showing my emotions, but that's because I also had the benefit of, of growing up in a, not only a bilingual, but a bicultural household. And, you know, my mom being of Portuguese descent from Brazil, um, in Brazil, men are very emotional. You know, they have other issues as men, but they, they have no problem expressing emotion and being emotional. So I had, I saw that example and that was what I decided to fall back on as, as my failsafe, knowing that, okay, at least I have something of an excuse to be emotional because I can claim my Portuguese heritage. <laughs> so, yeah, but ultimately, I think that the big challenge that so many of men, in, especially in the United States or in other cultures, particularly Northern European cultures, um, were just expected to be stoic, non-emotional. We're supposed to be the Vulcans of Star Trek, where we may have emotion, but we're, we're suppressing it and we go with logic instead. And that's that's a whole topic for another show, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm not even sure if that much is true. Like, I don't. We we're supposed to be non-feeling, but also non-thinking a lot of times too. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. no robots. Robots. Right. Yeah. Just go to, be quiet. Go to work. Do your business. Mm-hmm. You know, n- nothing affects you. Yeah. Exactly. Be, be the heart or the head. Be tough. You know. Be a real man. Hmm. Right. Well, hence, hence our conversation now, right? <laughs> right, right? Yeah, and again, that's really want to do this and, and be open because no, re- yeah. real men feel, we and do. They, you know, be it anger, sadness, you know, like everything. There's not, there aren't just some emotions that are for the women, and some emotions are for the men. We're all human beings mm-hmm. first, mm-hmm. and again, everyone has had these empathic experiences. Absolutely, of, of knowing where the, your kid, your, your spouse, a friend, knowing how they're feeling. You know, picking or even today they call it um, emotional intelligence. Yeah, yeah. Right? The ability to pick up and notice and those subtle cues and all that is revolved around empathy to me. It very much is, and and I certainly love the fact that science, in particular, you know, therapists, you know, the the psychological field um, and the mental health profession um, it is 
learning how to create a language around that that people are comfortable with using. Um, I personally have never been afraid of using spiritual language or using woo-woo terms, if you will, to to describe the feelings and to to um, relate my experiences. However, there are many people who feel uncomfortable using spiritual terms, you know, for whatever reason. So I certainly love the fact that the mental health community is starting to recognize the fact that, yes, we are human beings, that we it is healthy to express emotion and um, developing a whole language that, that allows us to do that. Yeah. It, it's certainly, you know, things are opening up. Yes. And slowly. They, yeah. They, could, they couldn't get more stuff down. I, I hope not, but, <laughs> but it is that, that more people are willing to be open and mm-hmm. to share and that you know, every now and then something will go viral and it's like, you know, a, Oh, it was recently the um, not fairly recently, but the San Diego Charger, um, a player in the football team, got fined because he stayed and watched his girl, his uh, his daughter dance at halftime, yeah. and he, he got fined like seventy five thousand dollars, and that went viral. Like, oh, would you be willing to do this? And how important it was. So he became like a hero for just watching his daughter dance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> and, and, so, and somehow that, that to me is an interesting commentary. I was going to say we're sad, but I'd rather use the term an interesting commentary about the nature of our society, how a father being involved in a child's life, particularly a daughter, like a daughter's dance recital or, you know, performing or whatever, that when a father actually does something like that, it's newsworthy. It's, it's, you know, people talk about it. I mean, if the dad were to go to a son's base, little league baseball game, nobody would bat an eye because, you no, know, that's a manly thing, you know, and sports are manly and so forth. But when a man goes to a daughter's dance recital, piano recital, or, you know, whatever, suddenly that's a shock. Why? You know, why, why should it be? Yeah. Why did, where, how did, how in the world did we even get to that point where, you know, we can't be supportive of our children? When I know that so many men want to be supportive of their children, but they're afraid of doing so because of how they will be perceived by their friends and colleagues. Yeah, it's almost um, amazing that the whole term daddy's little girl and that this bond <laughs> between father and daughter can exist in a society where men were told, you know, don't express your love for someone, you know, so much in this one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, Craig, oh, Craig, I, let's see here your comment. You had to see it. seems like anger and sternness were the acceptable emotions for men to express. They wouldn't be picked on it for it. I completely agree. That's exactly how it was. And I was just going to mention my, I have some, you know, my, some extended family that that's what it was like. I mean, to this day, I see my cousins, you know, when they, when they see their dad, they, they shake hands. They don't embrace. No, they shake hands. I'm like, they embrace, they hug me. <laughs> no problem. They'll hug me. But you know, it's like shake hands to the dad. I'm like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah they just, no. <laughs> Can you ever think of a time uh, in elementary school or high school that someone got bullied for being angry? Other than me? 
Oh, oh, you so you oh you so you got picked on for being angry, not just the other extremes of emotion. Yes. Oh man. Because I was I was I was expected to be the nice guy actually. And so one time when I got really pissed off with somebody, I I actually was picked on for that, for being something other than what everybody else expected me to be. I'm like, dude, I can't win. Can I? Because <laughs> I had people saw me as being this one way. And I mean, it takes a lot to, to get me to blow my top. It takes a lot to get me to just explode. But boy, when I do it, it's like um, Krakatoa. <laughs> <laughs> I, I explode. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I was, yeah, I, I was bullied for both being too emotional and for, for my angry outburst. But otherwise the, the angry kids, the bullies, they were the ones who weren't getting bullied. They were the ones doing the bullying. That was generally my experience. Yeah, right. And if yeah, if you were angry and stern, nobody would mess with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it, it's – I'm glad to see that our society is opening up a lot more now. And our kids are really teaching us a lot. It is, it's really, really amazing how – Watch the conversations that that children have with their parents, and I oftentimes will come across things that parents will post about think the, the crazy things their kids say, and some of those crazy things the kids say are shockingly profound. I attribute it to the fact that these kids are no longer afraid of being emotionally in tune and paying attention to their parents' turmoil if you will, and sensing their their parents' turmoil. And so therefore asking very pointed questions to get the parents to think. In some ways, it's almost as if the kids are teaching the parents for the other way around. Oh, yeah. I, I totally – like each generation comes in to teach parents. And mm-hmm. you know, adults want to think they've got it all figured out, and it's their job to teach kids how they're supposed to act, feel, and think. And that's where you end up – getting all your emotions and thoughts stuffed down, right? Like when, at, at age five, if you were said, oh, mom and dad, it, it's my mission to make people happy. And they just said, that's silly. You know, shut up. Or <laughs> any kind of derogatory <laughs> response to that, you, you would have taken a different path. I would have, absolutely. Yeah. I, was, I was one of the lucky ones back in the 70s, you no know, 60s and 70s, to have parents that were actually quite supportive. Well, my dad is actually just apathetic. <laughs> so I, I took out a support. Um, <laughs> But I'll take it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll absolutely take it. Um, my mom was always very, very supportive. Fearful, but supportive. <laughs> In fact, um, funny enough, the, this this weekend I went to see Zootopia, and the main character's parents were like really fearful. It's like, no, to give up on your dreams, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that reminded me a lot of of the, the experience that I had actually with with my own mom. She would she would encourage me to go after my dreams while simultaneously expressing all kinds of fear about those dreams <laughs> yeah. you know and 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 since zootopia it's an animated film yeah. and these days you know animation the storylines that they tell have allowed them to become so advanced like inside out and and <laughs> zootopia and all the best ones they they're talking to kids but they allow them to be fully emotional and, and yeah. not treating them just like kids and yeah. it's amazing yeah in fact inside out was probably one of my favorite films last year for that i've always been a bit of a, an animated film I'm, i've always been a kid at heart so i will always go to see animated films i'm not afraid of admitting that 
Um, and Inside Out was easily, hands down, one of my favorite films last year because it really not only explored the wholeness of our emotions and allowing all of the emotions to surface, but simultaneously it did a really an exceptional job of explaining how the brain works as well. Is it, They really put a lot of stuff in there. A lot of stuff in there that just blew me away. Yeah, right. And if and if they tried to take that as an adult storyline, it would be oh, just straight drama and droll, and no one would go see it. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. You're mixing it lightness and humor, which is what should be mixed in ideally to everybody's life anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can get the lesson. It's okay. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was something I did want to mention about about one of the lessons, one of the very important lessons that I learned about being empathic and being a, a, a very emotional child and always being tuned in and growing up in a society that was very emotionless. And yet at the same time, being exposed to a culture, a different culture that was very emotional at the same time. So, um, and that one of the important lessons I learned from the whole experience was that the natural state of our emotions is always flowing anyway. And, and we've, we've touched on this sometimes in the past in private conversation about how important it is to let our emotions flow, to just let it flow, let it go. And every time that we keep our emotions bottled up or we ignore what it is that we do sense, whether from within ourselves or from others, and we don't address it and we don't speak to it and we don't honor it, it, it starts to build up you know, a little bit of a blockage, almost like an artery. I usually like to use the the, the example of a stream, but in this case, we'll use the, the example of plaque building up in an artery. Eventually, you're going to have major issues if you don't don't do something to create to remove that blockage. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, em emotions are energy in motion. Mm -hmm. That's what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And and so, um, something that often comes up when I do Akashic Record readings is that it, it, all emotions are here to serve us, and they serve us most when we allow ourselves to feel them the moment they arrive. Mm -hmm. And Every we decide, oh, I can't feel that now. No, nope, that's not right for this moment. That's adding the plaque. That's making your buildup. Yep. But your willingness to feel an emotion the moment you feel, first have that instinct of, I'm feeling something, allow yourself to feel it, and vitality and the flow, the state of life, your aliveness, all of that. Is great. It's uh, you know, it's, it's why they call it a good cry. Yeah. When you let yourself do it, you feel better when it's over. But if you keep resisting it and fighting any emotion or any tears, it, it's all just releasing and moving energy. That's, That's exactly what we're right. made for. In fact, uh, last year I remember writing a blog post specifically about having a good cry <laughs> and how wonderful it is to just release. You know, the tears can be not only cathartic, but they also are. You know, there's a, there's a metaphorical um, example of uh, of the tears as well, because the tears wash away everything. They help you cleanse. It is a physical representation of a cleansing that's actually taking place. Right. And there's, there's scientific research of looking at tears and tears of joy and tears of grief and sadness they they have different compounds in them yes they do they even yeah. have to, and and they have different crystalline structures within them as well it's it, it's amazing yeah, yeah yeah it really is so if if you you know at whatever age you are if it was encouraged that you you know i i've met guys that are were punished as children for crying mm -hmm. yeah so I you're have shutting too. off yeah you're shutting off a release mechanism a cleansing r ritual and mechanism for your body so if the only way that you release energy is laughter but you've been stuffing your tears for decades, 
you're not going to find much to laugh about and you can never blow your top and be angry and be in going off in rages and you not even know why, but it's because all the, all the junk you didn't allow yourself to feel that you're carrying with you is going to be triggered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what, Craig, you're right. I'll give you something to cry about. I heard that a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, even, even my mom used that, uh, you know, that term occasionally if i was if i was being a little pouty or whatever um and she couldn't figure out the reason why and i wouldn't tell her the reason why well she would sit she would tell me that she would say i will give you then if you can't if you, there's no reason for you to cry i'll give you a reason to cry <laughs> yeah. wouldn't it be good to have the awareness of as a child someone says it to you actually i've got plenty to cry about and it starts with you when i'm picking up all of your unfelt tears dad what's the matter with you yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> flip the tables mm-hmm. yeah so but yeah being empathic as a child in our generation i think was a painful experience but also a very good experience to help us grow and to have these conversations about being able to embrace our emotions be able to embrace what it means of the totality of our human experience so do you just by saying our generation? Do you do you think it is easier today? I think so. Um, I certainly look at the example of my stepsons. Uh, again, you know they're they're from Peru, so they they you know have that particular culture uh, cultural influence of being able to express their emotions. Um, although in many cases the emotions that were expressed were often uh, related to anger of some sort or deep, deep, deep love, not much in between. You know, we had the two extremes that were being expressed. Um, but just looking at children today and looking at my grandson right now, who is four, and how he is able to express himself a lot more without being judged, without being told no, you can't express that, or no, you shouldn't do that, or whatever. Um, it, it's it's very gratifying, and I see that all around me. Even growing up, and even living in a deeply conservative, deeply religious community where I am in Salt Lake City, I see more parents being not only permissive of their of their children being able to express their feelings, but supportive of their children expressing their feelings. They understand that how critical it is to for, for children, especially their boys, to feel. I mean, it's always been acceptable for, for girls to, to be emotional. And I'm not talking emotional as in just you know, throwing tantrums all the time. I'm talking about honoring the feelings that you have and the moment that you have them and expressing them. And doing, and when we are when we are able and allowed to do so, we learn. We, we just instinctively learn healthy ways of being able to express our emotions. It's when we repress them, or we're exposed to those neg- that negative feedback regarding our emotions as children, that we start to have those temper tantrums. We have the outbursts. And we have the unhealthy expressions. Cool, and. Uh... Yeah, Lori, Lori's chiming in and saying, you know, she disagrees and saying many women were not allowed to be aggressive, bold, and angry. So, again, just true, as, true. as men, we, yeah. we experienced the emotions that we're supposed to have. Women were yeah. supposed to keep in their emotionally acceptable corner. Right, exactly. Yes. I mean, I would, I would, I would clarify that by saying that women were, were allowed to express a certain range of emotions, just not certain types of emotions. Whereas boys are not really ex- allowed to express any type of emotion, even anger. While 
slightly more acceptable coming from a boy was still considered to be, you know, something that was bad for some reason. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I'm sure every culture, every family, every neighborhood, uh, all has their different. Yeah, and you said it. We, they all there's an acceptable range of emotion, mm-hmm. and nobody's acceptable range has been the entire range of human emotion, which is <laughs> ideally the truly acceptable range. Right, exactly. Yeah, and that's not to say that, that you know, we don't have pockets of, of holdouts, if you will, where, where people you know, tell boys, especially boys, but yes, women as well, girls as well, that this is what's acceptable and this is what is not. And if you step outside of those boundaries, there's going to be consequences. Right. And, and nobody explains it in clear terms like that either you get a as an empathic person you pick it up like well i'm punished i'm being ignored from when i felt like that mm-hmm. you know so yeah it's not just here's the guidebook to emotions in our house and it's never <laughs> been that clear <laughs> I, I i you know what that guidebook is so complicated i think it would be at least several thousand pages thick <laughs> with all kinds of annotations and subnotes and uh, exceptions to the rules Thank God we don't have a guidebook. It's better to just kind of figure it out and reach agreements and reach agreements with the people that are around us. It's it's more fun making those discoveries. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing here, anyways, right? Making discoveries, right? And and your emotions are the feedback for your discoveries, right? <laughs> feels good, feels bad. Oh, well, that felt bad. I don't want to do that again. Yeah. I'll discover something else now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although Craig is saying a guidebook would be a good opt-in. <laughs> mm, you know you're right. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> be a long opt-in. Yeah. See, I was I was thinking, oh, that could be in the next Pixar movie, mm-hmm. the emotional guidebook. How are we gonna do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm, I think we got something. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool. Well, uh, let's see it. Wow, this 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 half hour has flown by. Oh my god! It has yeah. flown by so quickly that you, where'd you go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I don't see you anymore. No, hold on. All right. Well, Apio's had so much fun, he's off feeling something else. <laughs> well, this is a, a weekly program again, and next week we're going to have a very possibly provocative episode. Um, we're going to talk about manhood and what it means from a gay perspective and a straight perspective. And is there a difference? Is it the same? What's going to happen? Um, who knows? But that's will be uh, next Tuesday, live at 5 p.m. And we'll see if Apio gets back in. He's trying. I'll give him props for trying. (laughs) Well, something has gone wrong down in Utah, it seems. Anyway, so I hope you uh, got something valuable out of this conversation this week about being empathic. And please join us in the Facebook group called Real Men Feel. And we do have two open seats. And we're always welcome to uh, participate via chat or to have you just hop in and take one of the open seats during our, our next live blab. And still waiting on Apio. Doesn't look like he's going to get in. All right. So thanks again. I'm going to just stop the recording for now and see if Apio makes it back in.